Well, welcome to everybody who's watching this or listening to this on our podcast. Uh, we hope this is a conversation that will be meaningful to you. Uh, over the month of October, First Shine Methodist Church, uh, many of our groups and members have been participating in a study of the book called Holy Love by Dr. Steve Harper. Uh, it's a book about a biblical theology for human sexuality. Uh, we've been talking about what it means to be a, a welcoming and affirming church for all people. And to supplement that conversation, we've been having some really important conversations uh, with, with folks that, that mean something to us, including the, the three who you see before you now, uh, who, are, who are part of us, have been part of uh, first, the First Church family. So why don't I allow them to introduce themselves to you today? Who'd like to go first? I guess I'll go first. Go uh, my name is Elizabeth Preston Hughes. I am um, a lifelong Methodist. I grew up going to First Church downtown. Uh, you know, had my first Sunday school classes in the building that's immediately across from Dr. Phillips. I guess it was called the Wesley Building. That's right. Um, have very fond memories of that. And then I um, went from age 12 all the way to 18 as a very active member of NYF, um, had Vicki Rourke as our youth leader, um, a lady okay. who worked at First Church for 50 years, Carolyn Langston, was a very good friend of my mother's and of mine. And so she walked me into um, Fellowship Hall that very first Sunday night where pizza was on the menu for dinner. I remember that like it was yesterday. And from that moment forward, I experienced six years of never ending love, acceptance, fun, adventure, many a choir trip during those eight years with six years with David Patton. Yeah. Um, just a time of my life that has never, ever been duplicated. And I've had some really good faith experiences, but those six years at First United Methodist Church downtown will just always be, always take a tremendous real estate in my heart. Um, so now I uh, fast forward, I'm 50, um, married to an amazing gal named Stephanie Preston Hughes, who has involved herself with Reformation Project and some other activities uh, involved with First Church. Shelly Denmark is still doing some work with Stephanie. Uh, I'm still a Methodist. I go to College Park Methodist in College Park, Orlando, and I'm just happy to be a part of this call. Thank you. Joe, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you. Yeah, hello, my name is Joe Nisbet, and I grew up at First United Methodist Church of Orlando, and I went there until I went to school um, at Florida State in around 2010. So I was there for like the first 18 years of my life, and um, I was confirmed and baptized there, and I had a lot of friends from there. We went on mission trips and, and stuff like that. And then since I moved away, I never really found a new congregation. So FUMCO will always be kind of my home church to me. And so um, I was really honored to be invited to, to speak about this topic. It, it feels um, important. It feels like I, I could speak of my experience. So I'm really glad to be here. And um, yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. And Michael. First Methodist Orlando started my career in music. 
I was a little, little kid. And we were at First Methodist Fort Myers. And we came up to that church for a convention at Rollins College. And we went to an organ concert at First Methodist and it thrilled me to the core. And that was the beginning of my career in church music. And, you know, obviously, you know, dad was hired at First Methodist and I grew up at First Methodist and everybody knows I sat right next to the console with next to Linda. And still, I'm still working with Linda to this day. Fantastic mentor and teacher. Um, First Methodist was just, just the lighthouse and the solid rock that shaped my faith formation and, and showed me who I really am and who I am as a musician as well. And, you know, and I've always felt anytime the church has called me, I will run there and help them. And, you know, it's, it's been a very important part of my life. I mean, uh, to, the, to the extent that I joined the company that rebuilt the organ, yeah. uh, you know, wow. and I still work on that. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Michael. Well, uh, the conversation uh, that you, you've alluded to uh, that we're having at the church and that um, we're going to have together uh, is around human sexuality and um, identity and orientation. And I, I wondered if each of you could share a little bit about your own stories of kind of when, when and how you came to uh, awareness and acceptance of, of your sexual identity, orientation, um, and uh, and and if if First Church, uh, you know, was supportive of that or 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 not, um, or was part of the conversation at all for you, or part of the processing, um, just love to hear whatever you have to share about that. This was interesting for me. Growing up, I didn't know there was a difference. Um, I'm literally. Because you think about it, men always were together and women were always together and they were always separate. And I thought that this is, I've never told anybody this. I thought that men and women came together just to have families. But I figured that they loved, they had lovers on the side. And for me, I didn't understand when I was told there was something different about it. But I always knew at First Methodist, I always knew that I was accepted. I always knew I was different to say. Um, I didn't understand why, uh, but that's also, there's other reasons there. But I was always supported. At any time that I had any kind of questions, I could go to somebody and ask them. And, you know, it, for, for me, First Methodist was very supportive. Yeah, every once in a while I heard like a random person say, oh, those people. And I didn't understand, like, what do you mean those people? We're all people. We're all, you know, we're all God's children. 
the night of Pulse, oh. my phone <laughs> started erupting. And it was, you know, parishioners at my church, but it was also parishioners at this Methodist that were calling me to find out where I was to make sure that I was okay or to say, we need you down here now to come to help, you know, and I was, <laughs> I was annoyed and I just turned my phone off because I, I, I didn't know what was going on because I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning. It was interesting in that moment to realize the church needed me and wanted me to be there to help just, just to, you know, pass out donuts mm -hmm. or do something, anything in that moment. And they, in the time the church needed people, uh, it was, and they also were calling to make sure that I was okay. Yeah. That meant a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So Elizabeth, you were, you were starting to jump in. So uh, let's pick up with you. Yeah. Thank you, Vance. Michael gave a lot of great um, segue options for me. That was perfect. Perfect. Person to start. So, um, you know, I, when I was in NYF, um, I just felt very comfortable there with all the, the folks. Cause I went to Lake Highland I was the only one in our group who went to Lake Highland. And Lake Highland was, um, you know, nothing like it is today. I don't even know if I could get into Lake Highland today. In fact, I'm pretty certain I couldn't. But the point I was trying to make is, you know, the kids I was at NYF you know with were at Howard, Boone, you know, normal schools. And so I, I, it was really an opportunity for me to be with real people who I felt I really connected with. Now, did I, did I realize that it was different because I was different? No, no, no. I just thought it was awesome. And, um, you know, Sundays and Wednesdays were the two best days of the week for me because that had something to do with First United Methodist Church Orlando. I did not know I was gay. It was probably a case where everyone else who was an adult knew I was, but I was the last one to know. That kind of happens a lot. So you fast forward to when I'm out of college. I did go to an all-girls summer camp and an all-women's college. Um, those could have been indicators, but alas, they were not. So I'm out of college. I'm working at Disney, not because of the nicely robust and diversified workforce, but mostly because my mother said, you're going to get a job. Why don't you try getting a job at Disney? And that's where I got a job. And that is where I realized I you know, was attracted to women. So the question was, you know, did, was, was the Methodist church, First United Methodist Church, Orlando in general supportive? You bet they were. But the support came way later. It came um, as recently as three to four years ago hmm. when I became active at College Park United Methodist Church. Meryl Fraley um, gave me the gift and opportunity of being lay leader. I was able to come back and sit in the sanctuary at First Methodist downtown when Bob um, was speaking to the congregation. And um, so the support was so vital and so substantial. Um, it just was at a very different stage of my life. Um, but perhaps it was not any less significant just because I was married and more adult uh, it came really at the best time because my, my faith journey is the strongest now that it has ever been. Mm -hmm. uh, that strength is not to be confused with um, perfection. Um, my path is woo, 
very, very much a roller coaster. But as um, um, I'm not sure, I think it's Henry Nowen who says that um, doubt is like ants in the pants of faith that keeps it moving. Mm. And so, you know, I am a, I am a seeker and a traveler. Every now and then I'm, I'm a wanderer. But the one thing that has been consistent is my love of the Methodist church. No matter what church it is, no matter what pocket of the country it's in, I am Methodist all the way. And um, the, the bedrock of that is First United Methodist Church Orlando, period, and descendants. Wow. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Joe, how about you? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think I had a little bit of a different experience, or at least where I'm presently at feels a little bit different than, um, you know, the other guests here today. I, I definitely struggled with being in, in denial. So I guess, first of all, I, I am a cisgender gay male, and I've been happily in a relationship for the past seven years with, you know, the love of my life. And I'm really appreciative of that. But, you know, back when I was 12, 13, 14 in middle school and high school, I didn't understand myself. I was really in denial about it. Actually, I do feel sort of like how Michael felt like everybody must feel what, what this feels like. I kind of thought, oh, like, you know, all guys know that other guys are attractive. Everyone's just kind of lying. It's like this whole big joke that, you know, I don't really get it, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's, that's, that's dumb. Guys are gross. And, um, and I, I really had a tough time dealing through um, the reconciliation with myself that I am not um, I'm not straight, that I'm not going to have the wife and the kids that I had pictured or that had, that had been told to me that, that it was, you know, part of everyone's future was that you're going to, you're going to, you're going to have a house and a white picket fence and a wife and two kids. And, you know, that's what boys do and girls get a husband. And um, that was really confusing. It took a really long time for me to get through that. It, it definitely gave me depression, suicidal thoughts anxiety, um, leading to abusing drugs and alcohol, like, you know, not too much more than a normal high schooler, but I, I can definitely see now how much pain I was in and how hurtful it was. And um, I, I want to say, though, I'm not pinning um, that on the church or, you know, what individuals in the church did. I think that there's systemic and institutional homophobia in the entire, you know, Western society. And, and Christianity is a huge part of that. And the Methodist church and stands within that, you know, there's that context that the church is in the community um, and it's kind of holding on to those values and some of those things. So I, um, I had a really tough time coming to grips with it. And um, I feel like I just didn't understand myself and so I, I did feel like all the individuals within the church and the people around me, I always had so many friends, so many people to talk to, so many people to, to ask for, for help. But it's weird when, you know, you're not even really sure what you need help with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was really confusing. And I, I think the, the one role that, that did get played through the church, I think it's just culturally. I don't, I don't think it's about any individuals or, you know, policies or anything like that, but just that there's a cultural um, heteronormativity where I didn't see 
gay role models, or I didn't see myself in um, kind of these these ideal lives that the other people were talking about, or that that God was, you know, inviting me to lead. And um, you know, I'm, we can go into depth about all of these different topics, but I will say I think what's important to me has been having a personal relationship with God, and I think that the problems that I've had with my own identity and feeling like that there wasn't a support. Um, like, I don't remember this the conversation, but I was told, you know, being gay is a sin. And, you know, it was kind of a joke, you know, in, in youth group on late nights and stuff like that, you know, just boys just being boys. I, I don't attribute it to the church or to the community or the individuals at the church, but just culturally, it's kind of a joke, like, oh, making, making fun of a gay person or, you know, something like that. Um, and so I think that the church today, um, my relationship to it has been shifted to where I kind of stepped away from those more, you know, strictly biblical views that I found harmful and hurtful. I didn't, I didn't see myself in there and it made me take a step away from that and towards a more personal relationship to God that, that I enjoyed today. So I think that something that I, I think is really interesting is that your sexuality will change your faith. And when you know God and, um, you know, the lessons that Jesus gives us, it, it wasn't any of that other stuff. It was about that personal relationship with God and experiencing that, that God loves you um, and trying to share that and, and represent that in yourself and in your life. So um, I know that's probably really heavy, but th that that's kind of where I'm presently at in, in my experience with the church and, and with my sexuality. And um, I'm really grateful to kind of be out of that dark spot and, um, you know, come out and have a completely supportive family, supportive friends, um, and, I, and I know I, I feel the love from everyone from all, all the different directions, but that was my experience. Joe, I'm glad you're out of that dark space, too, um, and thankful for your sharing that. Can I, can I follow up with, uh, with, with two things you said, actually, um, and then if I get Michael and Elizabeth maybe to jump in on these. Uh, you, you introduced the term heteronormative. Um, I, I, I find that most, uh, most folks who are uh, sort of uh, think heteronormatively don't know what the term heteronormative is um, and wondered, wondered if you could define it uh, to help people understand uh, what, what it means and why it's an issue. Yeah. Thank you for asking me that. I, I have to say that I'm, um, I'm still learning a lot myself, and I wish I could give you a perfect dictionary definition. I, I don't think I have that for you. Um, to me, heteronormativity is the idea that, um, that there's something more normal about heterosexual relationships between cisgender people, like a, a biological male and a biological female um, having the, you know, sacred marriage and that that, um, the idea that that's more normal or that that's, that anything other than that is not normal or that something's wrong with something other than that. 
heteronormativity, and that's how you pronounce it, um, it's just such a given in society that people don't even think about it. Um, you know, and I, it was so weird growing up, I never, I didn't think about it as, as, I mean, we never, I never thought about it. I just, but now as I'm older, heteronormity is obviously a, a serious bias in the community. Um, I remember when I came out to my choir at Oakland Presbyterian Church, you know, one alto threw up her arms and she said, finally, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess it was that obvious. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's, it's so ingrained that you have to hide exactly how God made you. And that's just such a, that is such a shame. That is not normal. That should not be how we live and how the church should perceive people. We should be allowed to be exactly who we are. You know, I mean, I guess that's my, my take on that real quick. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I mean, as, I, as it's been described to me that that when we describe one one person or one way of being as normal, then that makes anything other than that ab, abnormal, um, right? And thus not okay. Um, um, and that and that I've heard heteronorm I've had heteronormal as things like you know I. Um, you know, if I have a child, my first assumption is that child will be born straight, and uh, because that's that we we operate out of that kind of that baseline heteronormativity, if that's the way the right way to say it. But that that well, um, that becomes an upward climb for folk. Well, and I think the weird thing there is even within that scope of heteronormative, what the what on earth is heteronormative? I mean, every family is different. They, so, I mean, this is preconceived notion, this 2.5 child family unit that probably maybe existed a couple hundred times, and that's about it. Right. Well, Elizabeth, you were about to say something. Yeah, I was about to say that I'm grateful for an eye device that can quickly pull up a definition when needed. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm not, I'm not someone who uses a lot of terms and that that's probably to my detriment. I, I honestly don't know if, if I'm as credible, uh, because I just don't use terms. Uh, and I, but, um, so here's this term and I looked it up because thank goodness fans didn't say, Elizabeth, can you tell us what heteronormative is? Because I'd be like, nah. but, and I just typed it in, but then my phone very quickly, um, told me that, you know, they needed to get rid of it here. So heteronormative here says, denoting or relating to a worldview that promotes heterosexuality as the normal or preferred sexual orientation. So that's the, that's the you know, Webster's standard of, of what we've all said. But you know, every time thinking about that word normal and how these days right now in this season of life, 
what the hell is normal? Normal doesn't even Nothing exist anymore. But well before COVID, you know, if I was in a doctor's office or any sort of professional practitioner, whether where they're giving you a diagnosis or telling you this or telling you that, it's, it's standard procedure for me to say, well, is that normal? Is what I have normal? Is this normal? And I, I guess it's just the answer is designed to bring me comfort mm. so I can leave, like, no matter what it is, your nails aren't right, your teeth aren't straight, your hair is growing gray. Is that normal? And y'all, every single time the person's like, well, hmm. And it's not that, it's not, it's not in that effort to, to, you know, kind of couch a negative answer. It's just that what is normal? And the comforting thing is never have them any, never have any of those people said, well, God, no, Elizabeth, that's not normal. You're weird. They're just like, no, but you know, everyone's different. Everyone's different. And that just, again, zeroes in on why my time at First Methodist downtown was so positive for me is that different was okay. Different was accepted. Different was awesome. And fast forward to now when our youth group has reunions, which we've had a handful in the past few years, well over 50% of us are gay. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah. And did we know that when we were kids? No. Then we had a wide and very, um, you know, group and youth group. And I didn't think of it as anything other than where I wanted to be, hmm. period. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah normal is a weird word. You know, if you think about... Uh, you know, Jesus, uh, they, uh, he was constantly being accused of not being normal for the day. You know, why, right. why didn't he follow the, wall, the laws like everybody else? Why didn't he uh, say the, the things that I, all the other rabbis were teaching? Um, that that he, he kind of always was pushing the norms. Uh, and, that, and that's always a challenge for the status quo is anything that is outside mm -hmm. of normal. Well, I, I bring up right. Jesus specifically because um, uh, Elizabeth, you earlier kind of made a reference to your spiritual journey as, as, as like something like this. And uh, uh -huh. Joe, you talked about your spiritual journey has led you kind of outside the, outside the walls of the church, but to something more personal. I, I just, I wondered if, if there was more, any, any of the three of you would want to share sort of about the, of the intersection of, of your, um, sexual identity and, and your spirituality has, has there, I don't know, are there definable, discernible ways that, that God has journeyed with you and sort of your own, your own journey, um, of, of coming out and self-acceptance? I would say that my life journey has been a complete confirmation that I am created exactly as God made me. Mm. I mean, there's never been a moment, aside from, you know, aside from harassment, aside from, you know, attacks and people harassing me, never in my life spiritual journey or with God has anything negative happened. So I know it's who I, I know that's how God created me. Hmm. Um, my time at College Park Methodist has absolutely underscored that I am exactly where I need to be. Um, 
my time at, the, at my adult stage of, of my faith, um, or second half of life, falling, uh, the Richard War book, Falling Upward. Mm. I think that's the name of the book. Yeah. Um, my role as lay leader, my opportunity to lead, um, going on two-year Bible study with a motley crew of people um, has really underscored that I am doing what I'm meant to be doing. And that I've always, I believe Michael uh, kind of said that he's always been supported. At least I think I've heard that he's always been supported. I've never really had a, a moment in my faith journey where I've gone into a place of worship and really been literally hit with opposition. Now, I have gone to churches where I just felt that I didn't fit in, but no one's come to me and actually put those words in the air. And that is a blessing when I talk to other people, and I know that there's a whole segment of the counseling community devoted to helping hurt and harmed, cue yeah. the Reformation Project. I've never ever to date been in a place where that has been part of my history. And I think that's why I feel so excited to be an active, sold out Christian, because I know that my time will come where I'll be able to give that piece of hope to someone who has really been hurt and harmed and I can exactly. pay it forward. I can pay it forward. And you know, um, the good news is there's more days left in my life. So I have a feeling that my time will come will where I also will be hurt and harmed. And perhaps this good positive energy I'm getting now is going to be kind of a buffer, if you will. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Thank you. Yeah. I want to, I, I like, where this conversation is going. I definitely want to restate, you know, from all of the individuals in the community and the, the interactions with the people of the church, I've felt nothing but love and, and acceptance in, in every way. And that, that support has been really valuable and really helpful in, in all areas of my life, knowing that I have that, that base. Um, but I will say for my, for my actual faith, it's been really confusing trying to deal with having, um, I, I still hold a lot of the values that I was, you know, I was raised with. I think that the First United Methodist Church gave me those, those values and that framework for interpreting, you know, what, what it means to be a good or a bad person. And it's been really confusing trying to understand how, who I am, who I was, you know, how I identify my orientation and my sexual interest in men, how does that, you know, fit together with this whole other framework of values and, and ethics and ways to live and, and relate to other people? It's been really confusing for me. And so I guess, you know, you're asking how has it actually impacted my faith? It, it gives me a bit of resistance and it's more so in the past. I think that I'm in a different spot now. But definitely when I was in fully in denial of even being gay and not understanding myself more clearly. Um, I was just resistant to, you know, accepting, you know, Christianity at its, at its value and accepting it and bringing it into my life wholeheartedly and, and taking, you know, the, the Bible to be something literal. I've always struggled with, you know, those, those aspects. And so it has definitely led me on a path that, you know, it's kind of zigging and zagging, like Elizabeth was saying, there's, there's many different chapters and phases of it. But 
Um, what I've found makes sense to me is um, just my conversations with God. And I understand the, the lessons that, that the text can, can give us and the values. And, but I also understand that, you know, that the God that I speak to loves me. And I don't feel like I, I understand um, if some people out there, you know, not even the Methodist church, like the Westboro Baptist church, you know, they think that, you know, gay people are sinners, that we're all going to go to hell. And um, so that there's that resistance there to even trying to interact with any part of the faith that, that might lead me down that, that dark path and towards a, a more personal relationship with God. And, and all of my conversations with God, I'm always humbled and um, I'm, I've always just feel so full of worth. I'm so, um, I, I don't know how to explain it, but um, just grateful that, that I am loved and filled with the peace and patience and the grace of um, that relationship with him. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Well, Elizabeth, you're going to hate this question because you said you're not a terms person. Um, I, I, one of the questions I wanted to throw at you all is um, I sometimes, you know, very well-meaning uh, Christian folk will say, you know, we accept everybody. We're an accepting church. Um, and, and there's a difference between acceptance and, and being affirming. Um, and I, you got, I got a good thumbs up. Good. I, I wondered if y'all could articulate better than I can what, what you hear when somebody says we're accepting versus affirming or vice versa. What, what, it, what you hear when someone says we're affirming versus accepting? What's the, what, what's the difference and why does it matter? I'll say right off the bat, Vance, that, that's an excellent question. And that, that's a term that I actually can get. So I was like, okay, ooh. Good, good, good. <laughs> Stephanie, my wife is really, you know, she, she's, her, she's a licensed mental health counselor. So all the terminology is right up her alley. I would have gonna, if it was a call a friend deal, I've been like, Stephanie. <laughs> okay, so I get this one. So accepting, I think was accepting and affirming. Yeah. To me, it's energy. So, you know, there are other churches around that church block right downtown. Well, yes, we accept everyone. Everyone is a child of God. And I'll give you a little segue or a little um, departure for just one second. And it's important to my faith journey. When my mother pulled out of me that I was gay, uh, thankfully it happened before she passed away. That is a blessing I will, I will never quit being thankful for. She said, you know what, I need you to go talk to someone at the church. Church at the time was First Presbyterian downtown. The minister at the time was Howard Ennington. So I said, and I, this, is, I don't, this is recorded, and that's fine. I said, Mom, I'm not going to talk to Jesus Christ. And she said, no, 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 you can, talk to, you can talk to Dr. Cook, Jim Cook. I said, okay, I can do that. So I set up the meeting, went to go talk to Dr. Cook. Love that man. He sat me down in his office. It was a pretty quick meeting. I said, you know, Dr. Cook, I know why I'm here. And I will tell you that nothing, nothing that transpires in this conversation is going to change. I'm still going to be the way I am. And his response was really so genuine and perfect. He said, Elizabeth, all of us are created in God's image and therefore we're all okay. You know, you're not going to ever be able to be employed by the church or wear a robe. I said, no worries. I don't want to. So a few minutes later, we pretty much said, okay, great. Thank you for the time walked out, called my mother and said, mom, I've done it. Nothing's changed. But I think just the fact that I got validation 
from a member of the clergy was good enough for her. Um, so there are a lot of churches around who say, we accept you because they know that all of us are children of God. All of us, even my neurotic dog that I'm spending hundreds of dollars to train. He's a child of God. Am I affirmed in every church? No. Am I, is it a situation where um, heterosexual, my heterosexual brothers and sisters, are they genuinely interested in what's going on in my life? Do they genuinely want to be engaged with my wife? Are they genuinely a part of my experience? If I'm in an affirming church, you better be darn straight there. I think that's the difference. It's an energy and a genuineness and a putting your money where your mouth is where the rubber hits the road. That's what it means to me. Yeah. It's an investment. Yes. That's the word investment. Right. So like I alluded to this earlier, when, when, you know, I, I've casually made mention of my partner at that period of time and the church said, yes, we want to know who this person is. We want to know about your personal life. We want to know. We want to be involved. We want, and they actively, the, the, the music ministry of that church, which is wonderful, actively wanted to support me and help, help me. And I think that's the difference right there. I mean, it's, it's more than just, oh, okay, well, you're that kind of person. I accept that you are, you're that. But when they actually invest in you personally and spiritually, that's the difference. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, good. Joe, anything you want to add to that? Um, I, I, I don't think I can add anything more spectacular than, than what's already been said. Yeah. Um, but I would encourage, um, this church, any church that's looking to do this kind of work, I think that there's like a whole bunch of different touch points where the church kind of intersects with your life and specifically your sexuality. And like, I think that that's where the, that's the actual place and time that it's most important to be affirming versus accepting. I feel like accepting is kind of like the background level of um you know just like am i even safe to walk in these doors like are you are you going to you know have that physical security and be recognized as a real person you know that's like there's those baseline levels and i think affirming would go beyond that in those specific areas where the church is touching your life in these important times like i specifically remember going to camp leesburg and going to like a, a sexual um, yeah. uh -huh. development kind of oh, uh, yeah. weekend. I, oh, yeah. I don't Big remember, <laughs> but that, that was awkward for me, you know, being gay. And um, I'm sure, I'm sure other people have had you know plenty of experiences with it. But you know, that was a trip. Me and my dad went on together, and you know, we tried to learn everything that we could, but. Um, I think that's a really important moment to not just say, okay, yeah, there are gay people, we accept that, but to go beyond that to say, you know, here is what, you know, here's the church position on, on you as a homosexual. Here's the information that you need to know for your sexual education and all of the ways that they're helping heterosexual, you know, people and couples to understand their bodies and what's changing in them and all of that. Like affirming would be to, you know, use that same, you know, um, 
effectiveness to help homosexuals and other non-conforming um, genders and, and sexualities. Yeah, thank you for thank you for mentioning Leesburg. I, I taught at some of those weekends and uh -huh. um, and and you know over time came to realize you know what what we were talking about earlier heteronorm heteronormative you know those were those were well-intentioned but heteronormative events. We we you know, we we approached the, the conversation of sex and sexuality assuming uh, that that everyone in the room was heterosexual and that that of course we now we know and probably should have known then that that wasn't that wasn't true uh, that wasn't the case Let, um so i don't know how to ask this last question because it's not a question uh it's more of a confession and and kind of an opening i i recognize that as a um as a 53 year old heterosexual united methodist pastor uh asking questions about human sexuality i I might not be asking the right questions um, as, as, well in, as well intentioned as they are. Um, I wonder, I wonder if, if there's other questions you think I should be asking you um, and, and especially things that you might want to share with, uh, with, with uh, First Church, which, which you know, has played a role in all of your lives. Is there, is there something, is there a question I should be asking? Is there something you'd like to share. I think it should be an open-ended question. Mm -hmm. Do we love as Christ loved? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that kind of says it all. All accepting. We're all made in God's image, who God is. God is not male nor female. God is. And we, as this diverse population, were created in God's image. And so we should love all. And we need to make sure we do that and not create normal. We should not create subsections of the population. We should not. You know, it's really a rough road. We have to, you know, it's part of growing up and growing who we are. We have to learn that it's okay to just be vulnerable and to love everyone. Mm -hmm. And that's apparently a very difficult thing. Apparently. You know, Vance, I'll say that the thing that is so refreshing, um, the idea that's so refreshing to me in this season of my life, whether it be an involvement with activities at First Church downtown, I'm part of a spiritual companion group that Margaret Harrod, Susie Harrelson, mm -hmm. some of your members um, are in, or my involvement at College Park Methodist, or my involvement, you know, with um, the Florida Conference, they see me as Elizabeth Preston Hughes, Nancy Elizabeth Preston Hughes, 50 year old female who's five foot two inches tall on a good day, meaning <laughs> straight on good days, but I'm slumping, I'm five foot one. Um, that's how they see me. They're not like, oh, Elizabeth, you're gay. Um, oh, um, every time it's, hey, hey, gay one or hey, gay gal. None, none of that. I'm Elizabeth. Now, am I gay? Yes, I am. 
But out of all the things that identify me, that is not number one, <laughs> nor will it ever be. How refreshing is it that I can be affirmed as Elizabeth, as a believer who's just like this, just like every other person who has, you know, a lungs and a heart and breathes and can feel pain. That is what really means. That's where the peanut butter hits the jelly for me is that I'm, I'm considered just like you are because let's, let's get real folks. I am just like you are. And I, do I, do I share my life with a, with a female? Yes, I do. But I don't care any, you know, I don't want you to care any more about that than I care about the fact that you share your life with a male or you don't share your life at all with anyone. And that's your business. And so that's really what, that's where my eyes are like, yeah, I like that. That's good. And that also is a difference between accepting and affirming. Yeah. yeah. So I, I appreciate you saying, you know, I don't know what are there questions I should be asking. Um, I'd be like holding a poster saying, your questions are great. You're accepting us as human beings because we're, that's what we all are. I mean, I don't know if this resonates with anyone else in this group, but that's where, that's my response to that last question. Thanks. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, I don't have an additional question for you, but something I wanted to bring up is that this is not a unique problem. Like this is, this is definitely, there's a lot of unique characteristics of, you know, this human sexuality reconciling all of the diversity of people who are coming into the church and everything like that. But I, I just, you know, if there's someone out there who is not gay and they can't understand um, you know, all, all the different letters, you know, um, they don't see it in themselves or their family or anyone around them. I think that it's still a really important lesson to look at how the church is dealing with all people. Um, even, you know, the church's history of with respect to women or with non-white people or, you know, all of these different layers of um, you know, Christianity being used for the wrong reason and communities of faith being exclusive or demeaning for any reason to anyone where someone might feel that they're not able to be authentic um, in themselves for any reason. You could just be dealing with any, anything that doesn't align with those values um, and those ethics that we're all trying to do. We're all on this path together. We're all trying to to be there and do that. Um, I think this is a really important step to take that the Methodist church needs to do, um, just to even to continue to be relevant. You know, the future is going to be Thanks. more gay, more lesbian, um, you know, more non-white than ever before. And God's message needs to remain relevant. And so it's important work that you're doing, but there's also this context of the, all the other ways that the community and the Christianity um, like the theology is being used in a toxic, unhelpful way with your path, um, your, your conversations with God. So I just wanted to put that out there, that this is just one small piece of a bigger thing that needs to go on and keep going on. Um, and thank you for, for giving us a moment to speak. I really appreciate that. Well, my, I echo that, Vance. Thank you so much. The thanks thank is you, Vance. The thanks is to you all for your um, your stories, for your vulnerability, for your willingness to share, for your willingness to endure uh, Zoom issues uh, and scheduling. Um, I'm thankful. Uh, one of the rare privileges I get as a pastor is sometimes I just get to speak on behalf of the church. And so I just, on behalf of First Church, uh, I just 
I just want to affirm the three of you for uh, who you are and uh, who you have become and uh, the, your faithfulness to your journeys and being authentic and uh, especially thankful for this time. And uh, I know your journeys have taken you to other spiritual homes, but, but know that you always have a home at First Church. And, um, and it's that, still my church home. That you're loved there. Um, well, thank you so much for this time. And um, it, I know it will be a blessing to others. All right.